Well, let's get into the Word this morning. We're going to be in Joshua 21. And last time, last week, we were talking about the city of refuge, and uh, or the cities of refuge. And it was a really cool study because we got a, a feel for what God was trying to do there, about his character. Uh, because cultures up to this point in the you know, 1200 to 1500 B.C., wherever you want to place that, uh, there was absolutely no other culture doing what God was doing. God literally was on the cutting edge of being a merciful God, a God who is loving, a God who cares, a God who wants to be your friend, a God that you can literally trust uh, and, uh, instead of being afraid of God, which many cultures, any other, any other little g God that they had, you were always afraid of their God. All of the other world religions was about a God who was mad at us, a God who was going to judge us, a God we had to sacrifice you know, our firstborn to, uh, a God that we, when we died we had to kill all our slaves to go with us to help us in, the, in some new world that they were planning on having uh, because you know, we, they didn't believe that God was going to provide for them. See, all the other religions in the world were, were worshiping creation. God comes on the scene with this thing, and, and Israel begins to worship the one true God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, have you seen any creation worship lately? <laughs> we see that all over our culture today. We are to take care of the environment, but we are not to worship that environment. We are to worship the one true God. We are supposed to take care of the earth that God has given us. We have dominion over it. So let's do those things to take care of the earth, but let's not worship that. One of the things that's very common back then was an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, blood for blood. Life was very harsh, and God came along and revealed himself to be merciful, something very different than what everybody else was experiencing. Many religions today are the exact same way with that eye for an eye, worshiping nature and idol worship. And one thing that never ended in a lot of cultures was this, this idea of avenger of blood thing. It never ended this, if you hurt my family, I'm going to come after you forever. We see that theme run in the, in the movies that we see on TV and the TV shows that we see, you know, that whole revenge idea, and it's considered fair. But our Lord is different. He basically said, man, if you, you inadvertently kill someone or hurt someone, there's a place provided for you to go and seek justice for that accidental thing. And we see how David even brought that to a whole new level that he presented himself or presented God as, as being the refuge, not just these cities that, that was put out for Israel. And the writer of Hebrews does the same thing, that Jesus himself provides us the hope of refuge. And we should hold on to that hope. Tyler was talking about that this morning. It is not the hope of, of if I have enough money, I can you know, pay off God. Or if I have enough time on my hands, I can serve God. Or if I you know, double my tithe a particular month, you know, we can all you know, leave feeling better. That's what religion does. That's not what God does. We go way beyond that style of religion beyond the cities of refuge, right to Jesus himself. And we get a hold of that mercy. I mean, how many of us truly have a grasp on what mercy is? Every time 
I think I have a hold of, of what mercy means to me and my life and, and my family and my children and all this. It, it, I realize it's bigger than what I thought. Every time I start to understand, I, I realize it's bigger. But we have to grasp it. We have to hold on tight because as we're holding on tight to that mercy, who are we really holding on to? Jesus himself. He is the city of refuge. So as the song said, we run to him when he calls our name. We don't pass go. We don't collect $200 until we get to Jesus. And then we get there, we stay there with him. That's a glorious thing because he paid the ultimate price for us. So it's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It's much more than that. You know, we love to divvy out justice to other people, don't we? Well, they got what they deserved, didn't they? Yeah, I can see that coming down a mile away. Yet we don't want to be judged. Because if we were judged on justice, what we deserved, none of us would ever get to be with God. We're judged on something different, and that's Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for your sin and my sin. And that is the greatest thing to ever happen to this world. And if we can grasp that mercy, it changes our lives. It changes how we act, uh, act toward one another. It changes how we treat one another. And we go out there and be a great, uh, a great embodiment for God in this world. God wants to give us so much, so much mercy and grace. It's unbelievable for everything that, uh, that we know that we did and everything that we know that we didn't or that we don't know that we did. He wants to give us that grace and mercy. So then we become dispensers of that grace and mercy to everyone else, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. We, go, you know, we start to say stuff like, you know what? You really offended me there. On that issue, you really hurt me. It wasn't very nice, by the way. But I'm going to forgive you. Not because I'm noble, not because I'm better than you, not because I'm a bigger person, but because God gave me mercy and gave me grace. It's because I'm running toward the city of refuge. And all of a sudden, we find out that they're right next to us. And guess what? We're both running together. And we find out that it's not a competition in this world. And, and we're doing this thing together. And we start to understand that we're trying to finish the race together. It amazes me uh, how we will hold on to one thing. And we will say, I can't stand this person because of this one thing. And all the while, we're ignoring that they're on the path right beside us. And we're like, nope, didn't see him. Nope, didn't recognize that they love the same God as I love. No, the, you know, not going to admit that they're a fellow Christian. No, 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 not going to. Nope. And when we get to heaven, I don't know if we're going to have time or not because we're going to be worshiping the Lord to be able to sit down and talk with those that, that offended us in the previous life. Well, are we going to remember all those things? Hopefully we will, but hopefully we'll have that mercy and that grace to give to each other. And we'll, you know, some of us are even going to be surprised. Wow, I can't believe that Bob Brooks made it to heaven. I mean, him. And he's going to be looking at me and going, I can't believe Alan Orr made it to heaven too. And there's going to be a communion. There's going to be a coming together of worshiping our God because he is our refuge. 
And heaven is going to be this one eternal city of refuge. And we're going to live there. It's going to be one big party. And as a Christian, that party starts now. And some people would say, well, Pastor Allen, it doesn't seem like a party to me. Do you know what I'm going through? And I'm like, well, you're still out in the parking lot. But you're still there. You're at the party. You just haven't made it. Or, or you're down in the basement and the party's upstairs. Okay, we're going to get there. Just hold on. And I'm not trying to minimize any situation anybody's in right now. Because life can be very tough. Don't, don't get me wrong. The flip side of that, life has a lot to do with our choices. I can choose to sit around and complain and, and be all bitter about certain things and talk about the traffic or the weather and, and that, you know, that I had to fight to be able to get to the party and sit there and go, let me tell you about my misery. I mean, there's some great people who will sit there and let you unload on them, but there comes to a point where they need to say something and say something like, you know what, you need to quit complaining. Enough is enough. Quit being negative all the time. Adjust that attitude and remember what Jesus did for you on that cross. Because once you've unloaded, you join the party. Don't allow yourself to live in hell any longer. I mean, do you understand that? The misery that we put ourselves through is like living in hell. And Jesus is saying, give those burdens over to me so you don't have to live in that hell anymore. Because I'm your city of refuge. Now in Joshua 21, it says, Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priests, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel. At Shiloh and Canaan, he said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their inheritance. So here's what's going on. The Levites were the, from the tribe of Levi. And because of their situation, both bad and good situation, the Lord assigned them, uh, assigned them to be the tribe that would assist the priesthood. So their job was to preserve the word of God, to teach the word of God, and to lead Israel in corporate worship. So therefore, the Lord told them and said to them, I don't want you to have a, your own huge track of, of land. I don't want you to be out there having to worry about all that like everyone, <laughs> like everyone else. So you don't have to deal with the business side issues, you know, the land issues. So after the land is conquered, I'm going to give them, I'm going to leave them, I'm commanding you to give them 48 different cities. So it's not like this tribe didn't get anything. They were actually kind of given the crown jewels of the kingdom in a sense. So while everybody else had to go out and build their own cities, they were given 48 cities. And the idea was supposed to be, I want to take care of them so they don't have to worry. And once they moved in, their focus, their time, their effort, their energy, and their work was all to feed God's family, God's people, and to teach the word of God. So we see down in verse 41, the, the towns of the Levites and the territory held by the Israelites were 48 in all, and together with their pasture lands. Each of these towns had pasture lands surrounding it 
This was true for all the towns. Now, what is really cool is six out of the 48 cities were to be the city of refuge, okay? Here, here God put these cities under the control of those who were supposed to understand God the best. I'm not saying it worked all the time. I'm just saying they were supposed to understand God the best, and it was God's plan. They were to preserve the law. They were to understand the law. Many of these people became the scribes that wrote out the word of God, that copied the word of God. They were also to teach Israel the law. The whole goal was to bring people back to God, to point out the flaws and to bring people back to God. You know, my son, uh, uh, unfortunately, with all the COVID and everything else, my son was taking Taekwondo. He was less than a year away from black belt, okay? And he was all excited about that. At nine years of age, he was going to be a black belt for, for his age group. I mean, that's pretty cool. And then COVID hit, and his Taekwondo shut down. So we gave it time, and now he's going back into karate, you know, because uh, we live in a smaller town, so we don't have, like, Taekwondos on every corner or anything like that. So we found a different style, and, and it's like Shotokan I can't even pronounce it, okay? But it, it's really cool. He's like, they use weapons, so he's all excited, you know? Um, but one of the things is we took a year off, so he's a little rusty, just like you and I would be if we stopped doing something for a year, right? So I'm going through, and as he's doing stuff, I'm critiquing him, and I'm telling him, look, don't look at it as I'm criticizing you for criticizing sake. I'm criticizing you and critiquing you so you can can remember what you've learned and apply it and get better quickly because he knows a lot of the moves. He just has to get them out of the brain. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what these Israelites and these Levites were supposed to do. They were supposed to critique the people, point out the law, teach them the law, saying, well, see this part of the law right here? You're not following that. And if you start following that, you do better and you come back to God. So that's how the Word of God was supposed to be used. And one thing we learned from Joshua is that he continually brought people back to God. So the Levites had this job to lead people in worship, kind of a dual role, and to turn people back to God and say, this is what the Lord says to you. And then they were to turn to God and represent the people. It was kind of a cool system. And if they would have done it right, it would have been very, very, it would have been great. And what we find out is God would spread them out across the whole nation. All 48 cities were spread out, and there was not one 10-mile stretch of Israel at that time without a city with priests in it. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist where, I mean, in our little town of 40,000, outside of Houston. Now, I mean, Houston's pretty big, don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, in our town, I can't tell you how many Baptist churches we had, much less Methodist churches and every other church. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, okay, we're kind of over church. We need to come together versus being a split apart so much. But, uh, but, but the idea is everybody had a place to go to learn about God. God was putting his law within 10 miles of everyone. They didn't have computers, they didn't have iPads, iPhones, Android phones, they didn't have Bible apps, they didn't have all that kind of stuff. But they were within 10 miles of going and being taught where they could say, teach me this stuff. And if these guys would have done their job right, which 
by my inflection, you can tell that they didn't all the time. Israel would have been preserved like salt being rubbed into meat or candles, you know, being lit up and, and everybody can see. You know, in Houston, they just had this whole, uh, my mom was without electricity. A lot of people were without electricity. Um, Lisa's friend, Michelle, says, my stuff is out, so I'm going to go over to my parents' house. She literally was either on her way to her parents' house or walked into her parents' house, and their electricity went off, you know? And people are like going, oh, if I take a, take a flashlight and put it into a milk jug, because the milk is all bad, so I'm going to well, pour that out, and it lit up more, you know? And that's what candles do. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put the light of God into this world. If they would have done their job right, Israel would, you know, uh, Israel would have been going in the right direction, but quickly they went the wrong direction. All you got to do is read the book of Judges, and you'll see what, God, uh, what they did with God's promise to them. People seemed to be ignorant of the Word of God. So my first thought about this was to pastors. I always want to hammer the pastors first. Why? Because we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to teach the Word of God. You know, I grew up in church, and I realized guilt is a good short-term motivator, right? Should should be my middle name sometimes. A lot of times you get this. You should be doing this. You know, from, the, from people to the pastor. You should be doing that. Far be it for me as a congregant to grow in the word of God where I turn around and say, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. But if all the pastors and the priests in America would actually teach the Word of God, and not just what we felt the Word of God was saying, but actually teach the Word of God, it would be an amazing thing. Or even, let me go further than that, if the pastors or priests would actually study the Word of God, it would change things. And if there was no area... Without someone teaching the Word of God, that would just be wonderful. But I fear that we've blown it. I fear that we haven't you know, taught the Word of God. I fear that we've taught feel-good things. Now, the flip side of that is always you know, fire and brimstone, you know, damnation from God, uh, guilt, and all those things. And there's a balance to that. There's a balance to saying you need to correct this without coming down so hard that the guilt and the shame and all those things are there, okay? But we have to value the Word of God. And, and I feel that, that uh, of course, I'm the one teaching, so I'm going to say this, but I feel that, that the Lord is saying, Alan, you're doing okay on that part. You're, you're teaching the Word. Keep that up. So then the Lord says, move on to the next thing. And I'm like, well, that's okay, Lord. I'll, I'll stay right here because I like this part, you know? I like you complimenting me. I like you, you know, the idea of me teaching well. So then I sat there, and, and the Lord took me to 1 Peter chapter 2, because Peter, who supposedly is the first pope, did you know that? Uh, anyway. Um, but Peter uh, doesn't let the church off the hook that easy. He doesn't say, if only the pastors, if only the leaders... If only the Apostle Paul, if only Timothy, if only Dorcas, if only James would have prayed more, if only, only, only the leaders. But Peter says in 1 Peter 2, the priesthood of all believers, he says, therefore, 
Rid yourselves, and he's talking to the people. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit. Being a hypocrite, having envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by so that it, you know by it you may grow up in salvation. Now that you've tested that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, the cornerstone, being rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen priesthood, or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into wonderful light. Isn't that what we just, you know, sang a little earlier? You called me out of the darkness and I ran, I ran, I ran to you. Peter gets through Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it dawns on him that God can use everyone, not just the priest. Every single one of us. Not just the people who are well-trained. So I began to read this in a whole different way. I began to see the church as a group of Levites that God is calling us as the Levite tribe in a sense. Saying, I'm going to do some things in your life that actually make life easier. And then I'm going to, to take your seed. And I'm going to throw it out into the Central Valley. I'm going to throw it out into Larian and in the surrounding communities throughout the land so you can minister to other people. Because that's what the Levites did. They, they scattered throughout the land. And here we're supposed to do God's will. And the Lord took this and had me praying for you guys because I am convinced that some of us are not happy. Uh, you, you know, is anybody not happy with their job? You know what I'm saying? Okay, we have some retired folk here. Were you ever at a point not happy with your job? You know, I, I was talking to another pastor this past week, and, and, and I won't tell you who it was, but they said they were talking to uh, somebody, and they said, are you unhappy? And the person says, yeah. And they said, I get the sense you don't like your job. And they said, no, I really don't. And then the, the pastor friend of mine told them, well, I think everybody ought to be happy in their job. And part of that's a feel-good sentiment, right? Everybody should be happy, should enjoy what they're doing. And for the most part, I believe that. But at the same time, we're not going to be at that job forever. And I think God knows what he is doing. Do you think God knows what he's doing? Yeah, me too. But sometimes I don't act like that. If God knows what he's doing, that means he's placed us in certain places. And we may be miserable there. But God placed us there for a reason. And we're like, well, that's not possible, Pastor. Uh, you know, I made a mistake. It was my bad. And, 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 and you know, and my, my response is, well, have you prayed about that? God may agree with that. Your actions got you that place, but you're still there. But do you really think that God, you know, it's God's will for you to look past your current situation so that you can start serving him? And the answer would be yes. 
We have to go, God has me here for a reason. God takes you and fills you up with his word, and you begin to worship. And if you're allowing this to happen, and if you're not happy, well, I wonder, are you really communing with God? Are you really getting into the word with God? Are you really worshiping God? See, it's the word, the Bible, the word of God, and the flip side of that is worship. What do we do with it? How do we praise God? Some of that is singing. Some of that is hands-on. Some of that is out there in the community. We need to say to ourselves, I am a Levite. I need to enter into the world of God to know the word of God. And people are like, but wait, that's the pastor's job. You know, I, I work for a living. And I'm like, well, I work for a living too. My work is to convince you to get into the Word of God. That's what I'm talking about right now. And you know what? That is work sometimes. It's the Word, the Word, the Word, and worship. Did you know, and I've, uh, you, you guys know this, so I'm hoping there's somebody online that may not know this, because I know you guys have been around to know this. Worship is not just singing songs. Worship is all of it. Worship is teaching the word. Worship is, is the music part of it. But worship is also everything I do, how I spend my time, how much I give, who do I talk to, how do I talk to people, what do I do for others in the name of the Lord. That is all worship. My total expression of my walk with God is our worship. So it's the word and worship. And you are the Levites that God has scattered out into this world. I was talking to somebody this morning, and they're so excited about uh, there, there's a job fair coming up. And that has been, that's good. But they also know, because I know them, that God has put them where they're at right now so they can represent him. And I know this person, so I know they know that. So I'm not being a negative part on that. And God, wherever God places us, we, we, we should be God's representative. So if you do your job right, the next time there's going to be somebody beside you because you've brought them to the Lord. You've brought them the way of God. Well, let's move on to chapter 22 before I get lost here. I'll frustrate you a little bit because I'm going to read, I'm going to, Tell the story a little bit more than I, than I read it. But let's start out in chapter 2 here. It says, uh, Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manassas, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. Wow, that's a major pat on the back here. You obeyed Moses and obeyed me. It's neat when the boss calls you in and says, You're doing a great job, isn't it? We all feel good about that. You've done really good for this year. In verse 3, it says, For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission of the Lord, uh, Lord your God gave you, now that the Lord your God has given them rest. And this is great. You know, he's like, this is great, guys. Nice job. We have done 31 battles over three campaigns, and we are the winners, so you can rest now. And it goes on, it says, uh, giving them rest as he promised, 
Return to your homes to the, in the land that Moses, the servant, the Lord your God, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So seven years, these guys have fought side by side with their brothers and their sisters of the Lord. And you might remember that when Moses was alive, they asked him, you know, some of them asked, could we have land on this side of the Jordan? And Moses went to the Lord and the Lord said, yes, but you have to go over to the, to the other side of the Jordan and fight with your brothers and sisters of the Lord to, to you know, get all the promised land or get the, that portion of the promised land. And that's what they did. So now, you know, now it's time for them to go back. This would be modern day Jordan area. It's not as good as the rest of the land, but it's, it's good nonetheless. Anything looks good after you've been in the wilderness. You remember what I'm saying? They come across the wilderness, they go fight Jericho, and they're like, but we kind of like that area that we stayed in. Can we have that? And he said, sure. But anything looks good after the time in the wilderness. Now, the neat thing is they really did like this area. They did not complain later. So now Joshua is releasing them to go back to their families after seven years. And I wonder what this was like. Soldiers, you know, all saying goodbye. I mean, 40,000 men that would have fought together. Now, verse 5, Joshua seems to kind of be this broken record. And it can kind of get annoying when somebody's a broken record. Just ask my son. He'll tell you how annoying it is, you know, because he thinks sometimes I'm a broken record. Or you can ask the employees how they feel about the boss. It just keeps saying the same thing. He sounds like a broken record. He's 102 years old, and he's like, hey, don't forget the Lord. Be careful to obey the commands. Love the Lord your God. He keeps repeating these things. Walk in his ways. Hold fast. Serve him with all your heart and all your soul. You guys are going to do that, right? This is like the patriarch of the family reminding the family, I'm getting old. I'm not going to be here too much longer. You're going to remember this, right? And everybody goes, yes, Grandpa. Because the end of verse 10, he says, When they came to uh, Gilalith, near the Jordan and the land of Canaan, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an, uh, an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And then when the Israelites, in other words, the ten tribes, heard, and you know how these things work. Somebody, somebody hears something and they repeat it and repeat it, and so the gossip gets all around, so they heard it that they had built an altar to the board, uh, on the border of uh, Canaan at Gilalith, near the Jordan on the Israelite side. The whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. I mean, here we just went, oh, we love you, brother. We're, you know, we fought with you. Oh, give me a hug. Give me, okay, fist bump. You know, men don't hug. You know, all those things. And, and they go over to their land, but then all of a sudden they build an altar or something, you know. And, and then the other tribe said, well, you, you know, we, oh, we'll see you later. And then they hear about this. They're like, we're going to go there. We're going to kill them. You know, just like men, right? Dysfunctional family. You know, it's like you just had Thanksgiving. Love you guys. See you later. And then a total misunderstanding happens, and our characters all of a sudden change, right? I'm going to fight you on this. Can you imagine a church where misunderstandings actually happen? I know. That, it's hard to believe, right? Because in the church, something like that never happens, right? We never get mad at one another. <laughs> so foreign to us. You built an altar there? That is our side of the river. You can't do that. Yeah, oh, man. So it goes on to verse 13. 
So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief uh, ten of the chief men, one of each of the tribes of Israel. So they have all their camels loaded up, and they're going on, each of the head of the family division among the Israelite clans. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How can you break faith with God, uh, with the God of Israel, like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? So they're filling in these blanks of this is what you did and how you did it when they don't know what they're talking about, okay? And then verse 17, was it not the sin of Peor enough for us? And if you go back to Numbers 25, uh, the Lord judged them harshly for something that happened there. Uh, That's what that is alluding to. And it says, up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin. So it was Phineas's dad that had to deal with it, Eleazar. So Phineas, he's like, you know, go do what your dad did. And he says, if you do this today, he will judge you tomorrow, okay? So, so Eleazar had to deal with Peor in, that, in Numbers 25. So now they're saying, Peor, go do what your dad did back then. Go, go over there and, and judge them harshly. Tell them what's going to happen. Uh, you know, if you, if you do this today, the Lord will judge you tomorrow. You can't, like, you can't act like this is okay. And, and, and what they're doing is they're standing on principle. No problem with standing on principle. We should stand on principles, right? Right is right, wrong is wrong, fair is fair, not fair is not fair, except for when you don't have the facts. Have you ever done that? Stood on principle and then later found out that you were actually the one in the wrong? Oh, man. It's terrible when you find that out. When we get in conflict with other good people, probably nothing wrong with our principles. What is probably the problem is that we don't have the facts and we start filling in the blanks. We haven't taken the time to find out. Why? Because we're just mad. We went to zero to 10 immediately. So in verse 22, they answered and they're they're shocked. They said, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel know, it has been, it, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us to this day. If we have built our own altar uh, to turn away from the Lord and to offer, uh, offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, why do you have to, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? Because they were split by the river, remember? Kind of the forgotten tribes in a sense. The Lord has made the, the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you, Reuben, uh, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord, so the descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. So basically, they built a replica so they could point at it and say, remember, we're still a part of you. See that over there? It represents that we're still a part of you. We're not doing sacrifices on it. We're not doing grain offering, burnt offerings, and all those things. We're just saying, hey, just remember. Verse 30, it goes on and says, when Phinehas, the priests, and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, 
heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say. They were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have been rescued, or now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. They're basically saying, now we don't have to kill you, which is kind of nice. Verse 32, then Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites and Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and praise God, and they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave uh, the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. Israel was good at this, not worshiping nature but building things that would remind them of the Creator. You see what I'm saying? They built things, they, they piled rocks, or they would build something, so every time they walked by it, they could point to it and say, remember that? And then they would take their kids, and the kids would be like, well, what was that? And they would tell the stories and tell the stories. You know, sometimes it's interesting. Our best efforts, especially serving the Lord, can be misunderstood. You try to do something really cool, and usually what happens, people just don't understand it. It's just too extreme. And what they should have done is build a small thing to represent God. But what they did was built a, a replica in other words, a life-size thing of what was in Shiloh, where they should be going and sacrificing. So there's confusion on that. Now, ironically, the northern king actually does this later on. They built their own sacrificing place. I mean, it was just terrible. I got pictures of it. It's 3,000 years old. Some of the steps are still there, and the altar place is still not the actual altar, but the foundation of that altar where it was is still there. If you go to Israel, you can visit it. I should have put a picture of it up. But it's still there. But, you know, it might have been bigger and prettier than the one in Shiloh. We don't know. But if you've ever been at odds with someone, here's the point. We will convince ourselves that we are right and what they're doing is wrong. And we'll even gather other people to back us up on this. And we'll say, my side or their side. And we have to be careful of this because stuff like this eventually tore Israel apart. And stuff like this can tear churches apart. And it's sad when it happens because we assume we assume that we are the children of God and they're not because of the way they're acting. And we become individuals instead of the group that we call children of God. We have to be careful. We need to live in purity. We need to not compromise our principles, but we also need to live in peace with each other and with our brothers and sisters in Christ that maybe go to a different church. If the foundation is Jesus Christ, let's start there. Let's start there. 
It keeps us centered. Worship and the Word. The Word and worship. So we send us Levites out into the cities. And we go where we're assigned. Some of us like it, some of us don't. We need to stop whining about it. If we shouldn't be there, well then ask God where should we be and work on that. That's okay. But we need to trust that God is in control and he will see us through these things. Amen? Let's pray as the worship team comes back up and finishes. Lord, so many of us don't understand each other. So many of us will, will, in a sense, get on our high horse, stand on our principles, and, and stop loving a brother or sister in Christ when, when they were just trying to serve you and we just didn't understand it. We pray that, that the mercy and the grace and everything that you give us, that we turn around and give that back to this wonderful world, that we owe a debt of grace, a, a, you know, a debt to this world because of what you did on the cross. That everybody would come across, we can either plant a seed or water a seed and allow you to grow it. I pray, Lord, that you use us in this community to change lives, to draw people to you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you continue to worship him, no matter your station in life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.